me. Anytime I can get them to have fun, especially when we're doing something that normally isn't fun, it's a proud dad moment. Unfortunately, not all the moments that I have shared with my kids I could call proud dad moments. I have my, probably more than my fair share, probably, of the not-so-proud dad moments. And again, this is not about them, right? This isn't about what they've done. This is about sort of my moments and my mistakes and failures. Probably the biggest not-so-proud dad moment for me happened back on Saturday the 3rd of January 2015, so just over seven and a half years ago. And I'm still scarred by it, to be honest. It was a relatively ordinary Saturday. You know, it's the beginning of the year. Um, We were just running some errands, doing some things around the house, and we are getting ready to go away on holiday the next week. But late that afternoon, for whatever reason, things just started to slowly unravel a little bit. It, It was small things... At first, for example, we sat down with the kids to watch a movie with them, which was fine, but about halfway through, suddenly the recording failed. It just failed. We couldn't watch the end of the movie. And the kids, who are, of course, much younger then, at, uh, I think 10, 7, and 4, they were pretty disappointed by that, but it was like it was too late to start another movie, so we thought, well, let's, let's play a game instead. So out came Snakes and Ladders, and that was all going fine until one of the younger kids was one square away from winning, and they landed on the biggest snake in the game and went all the way back to about quarter of the, about the bottom. Why would they do that? But anyway, that's where they landed, and somebody else won, and of course now the disappointment and the frustration now, not just the movie, but the game. So I decided that uh, now that these frustrations were starting to turn, on each other, I decided that perhaps they needed some space. So, hey guys, why don't you all go outside until we have dinner? Just get some space, get away from each other, go and play outside. So instead of, but then for some reason, instead of them all going outside and maybe one choosing to ride a bike and one kicking a ball around and one going to play basketball or something like that, they all decided to go and bounce on the trampoline together at the same time. That is not what I had in mind when I said they needed some space. So while I'm still inside packing up the game that was a fail and trying to fix the TV that was a fail, the noises from the trampoline started getting louder and louder and louder. It's my turn. That's not fair. I want that. Get out of my way. And as it continued to escalate, I decided that maybe their space was not a good idea and they needed to come back inside and get off the trampoline, which apparently was a terrible decision because as soon as I told them that, the noise doubled and it was all my fault now that they had to get off the trampoline because obviously they were really enjoying themselves arguing on the tramp. Anyway, I told them to get off and I unzipped, you know, we had one of those once with the side, so I had the mesh door, so I unzipped the door and they started to come out under much protest. And Brianna came out first and I reached up and I picked her up and lifted her off and put her down on the ground. And then Lucas came out next and I reached up and I grabbed him and I picked him up and put him on the ground. And then Ethan, who's 10 at the time, uh, he, he didn't want me to get him down, so when he came out of the door, he just reached out with his arm to just brush me aside because he didn't want my help. And... Uh, Right then was my not-so-proud dad moment. In that moment, I made an error of judgment, uh, a mistake. I, I messed up. See, instead of grabbing Ethan around the waist or the torso like I had with the others, because suddenly I've got this arm flung at me, I just grabbed the arm that was offered to me. And uh, so I had his arm in my hands, and I decided that I would just pull him down uh, by the arm. The problem was that at that exact same moment, he reached out with his left, so I'll put his right hand out, but he reached out with his left arm to grab one of the vertical poles of the trampoline so he could steady himself. 
And so he reached back with his left hand, and as he grabbed, and as I pulled, and he twisted, and he came off the tramp, and there was this almighty snapping sound. I'm standing there, I'm looking at the tramp thinking, how did he break the metal pole? Like, that's really bizarre. Oh, no. We didn't break the metal. Joe's inside. The doors and windows are all closed. Joe's coming to the door wondering what just broke. That's how loud it was. And when I looked at my son's arm that I'm holding in my hand, I realized that he now has an extra bend where his bicep should have been. And his first reaction was, you've broken my arm, you idiot. (laughs) Which I had... And I was. My first reaction was, oh no, you've broken his arm, you idiot. Basically was what it was. It was a not so proud dad moment. It was a mistake. And obviously we took him to the hospital and so on and he got a cast and he didn't need surgery or anything like that. But after a few months he was all sorted. Uh, There were some tricky times in there. Actually on the drive, on the way into the hospital, we said to Ethan, but he, you know, people will ask you how this happened, like because it's, it's it's an unusual thing for a ten-year-old to have broken their arm there. So so they will ask you what happened. Um, what do you what do you think you'll say? It's like, oh well, yeah, you just describe, just describe what happened. He said, okay, well, I'll say, <laughs> I'll say that Dad was lifting us all off the trampoline, and then he grabbed my arm, and then I thought I was going to die. So I, <laughs> no, wait. You can't say that. I will go to prison. What do you even mean you thought you were going to die? Oh, I, I thought I was going to fall off. Then say that. Just say that this, this story doesn't need any further embellishment from what is already just the truth. This is bad enough already. So I tried to go to the pole. Yeah, that's fine. It was fine. I do remember the no- we saw the notes. Like they, uh, I think it was... Um, Ethan seems comfortable in the presence of both his parents. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I have some proud dad moments, and I have some not-so-proud dad moments. I have lists of wins and fails. I'm fairly certain that most dads and father figures have some combination of both of those things. Even the greatest dads ever have moments that are not so great. But that is why the words in Jeremy's song are so important and so beautiful and so powerful because regardless of our fathers or our father figures in our lives, regardless of their proud dad moments or not so proud dad moments, we have a heavenly father who has never failed us, who has never abandoned us, who has never left us, and to whom we have always been and will always be his precious children. It's a good thought. I want to read to you a passage found in Ephesians chapter 1 today, which gives us the context for our theme this morning, which we've called Chosen, Adopted, Redeemed. And these verses in Ephesians 1 say this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, 
in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. There's a lot in these few verses that describe what the Father has done for us. It says that he's blessed us, he's chosen us, he's adopted us, he's given grace to us, he has redeemed us, he has forgiven us, and then again it it reiterates that he has lavished grace upon us. But today we really wanted to pick up these three particular words, chosen, adopted, and redeemed. So the first one it says there is that we are chosen. In verse 4, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now before the world even came into being, Father God chose that those who believed in Jesus would be saved. And the word chose is such an important word in there. It was chosen. It wasn't forced and it wasn't random. It wasn't something that was required of God. God is sovereign. God is king. And he has chosen to make this a relationship available to us because he desires to have relationship with us. God has chosen us to be his children. Jesus reiterated that to his disciples in John 15. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. First Peter has a passage that describes us as God's chosen people. And when you take a moment to appreciate what that means, when you take a moment to appreciate what that feels like to have been chosen, that Father God has made a deliberate choice to invite us into relationship with him, there is such a sense of joy and love and peace that comes upon you. We are chosen. The second thing in this passage that it says God has done is that we are adopted. In verse 5, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Through what Jesus has done for us and because of the Father's love for us, we've been adopted into sonship. We've already been chosen, the choice has already been made by the Father, but we have also become his children. 1 John 3 verse 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. We are children of God. Through the love of the Father and the sacrifice of Jesus, that is what we are. But this passage in Ephesians doesn't just say that we're his children. It says we've been adopted into sonship. And it's a slightly unusual phrase, but actually it's found quite a few times in the New Testament. And it actually comes from a Greek word that was a legal term in the times, referring to somebody who has the full legal standing of a male heir in the Roman culture. See, the culture was that the firstborn son was the one who had the first right to claim the inheritance. That's just how it was. But being adopted into sonship, or the word that means adopted into sonship, meant that you had the same legal standing. You are now a full heir to the inheritance with the same rights and the same claim as the firstborn son. Your background doesn't change that. Your heritage doesn't change that. Your family doesn't change that. Your past doesn't change that. We are adopted into sonship through what Jesus has done for us. This passage tells us that Father God has chosen us and he has adopted us. And the third thing we pick up is that we are redeemed. In verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. We are chosen, we are adopted, 
and we are redeemed. This passage is saying that not only have we been chosen by God to have relationship with him, not only is that relationship one of adopted sonship and his children, but we've also been redeemed. We've been released from our captivity. We've been set free from our slavery. The ransom has been paid for our release. The debt has been paid for our sins. We've been redeemed because of the price that Jesus paid for us on the cross. Galatians 4 says this, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. We have a loving heavenly father who through Jesus Christ has chosen us, has adopted us, and has redeemed us so that we can be his children and we can become heirs to his promises and to his blessings. You know, when I look around this room, I can see parents. I can see many fathers and mothers. I can see grandparents and great-grandparents. I see aunts and uncles. I see people who have never had children. I see people who have yet to have children. I see people who don't plan to have children, people who have so far been unable to have children. I see people from a wide range of generations. I see a wide range of cultures and backgrounds and families. But every one of us has the opportunity to know what it is to be chosen, to be adopted, and to be redeemed by our Heavenly Father. And then each of us has the opportunity to take our place in the family of God, where we then can have input into the next generation and help them to know that they too are chosen, adopted, and redeemed. One of the exciting things for me I see right through the New Testament is it speaks numerous times of people behaving as a father or a mother towards other believers in order to help them grow in their relationship with God. You know, the Apostle Paul described Timothy as his true son in the faith. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul, Silas, and Timothy talk about how they treated the people in the Thessalonian church in the same way a father would treat their children, by encouraging them, comforting them, and urging them to live lives worthy of God. You know, last year I actually attended a seminar by uh, one of the leading child psychologists in New Zealand. You'd probably know his name if I said it, but they were talking about the development of the teenage brain into a fully functioning adult brain. Sorry, teenagers, none of you are there yet. Um, but in particular, and some of us still aren't, in particular they were discuss discussing the various factors that help or hinder that actual physiological process that, and that development that goes on. And one of the things they said on that night has really stuck with me, because they said one of the most important factors that helps a young person's brain develop and mature is having at least one significant other adult in their life. That is at least one other adult outside of their parents or guardians who engages with them, talks with them, inputs into their lives, takes an interest, and most importantly, listens to them. They said the adult could be a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle, a teacher, a coach, a family friend, a friend's parent. And I just thought, what an incredible opportunity for the church. 
Not only is the New Testament telling us that we should be encouraging and comforting and urging each other on in our faith, but actually science is telling us that as adults, if we engage with and support and encourage young people, we're actually helping develop their brain, making sure that they become healthy, mature, functioning adults, just by taking the time to support, encourage, teach, mentor, and most importantly, listen to the young people in our community. That's pretty cool. This can happen through families connecting with each other in life groups. It can happen through mentoring. It can happen through life kids and youth. It can even happen simply by choosing to take the time to encourage and support our young people when you see them on a Sunday morning. As a father, I know it would be a proud dad moment to help my own children understand that they are chosen, adopted, and redeemed by their Heavenly Father. But as part of the family of God, we can all have proud dad moments as we encourage and raise and equip the next generation in their faith and make it known to them that they have a Heavenly Father who has chosen them, who has adopted them, and who has redeemed them. It's very cool. Team, could I have you come up? We're going to sing a song over you in a moment, but um, just as I finish. I once heard someone say that they define family as anyone that you would go to unreasonable lengths for. Anyone that you would go to unreasonable lengths for. The people that you'd be willing to give more to than is fair. To give more time and effort than perhaps you could say was reasonable. Those people, this person defined as your family. I thought that was quite an interesting definition. I don't know whether it's accurate. I don't know if I fully agree with it. But it's an interesting way to look at it. And it certainly got me thinking about what God has done for us. See, in order to become family... In order to be adopted into sonship, what God the Father did for us in choosing to give up his son, what Jesus did for us in choosing to give up his place by the Father's side and coming to earth in order to be obedient to the cross, and what the blood of Jesus did for us in redeeming us and paying for our sin and sanctifying us and restoring us to a place where we could be called children of God, I feel like that fits into the category of what I would call unreasonable lengths. God has gone to unreasonable lengths so that we can call him father, that we can call him Abba, that we can call him dad. And no matter what your own journey has been, either as a child or as a dad, no matter what not so proud dad moments we have experienced as either a son or a daughter or as a dad or as a father figure, we know that we can always turn to him, we can always run to him, we can always call on him the one who will never forsake us, who will never abandon us, who will never leave us, who will never forget us, the one who has gone to unreasonable lengths that we might be called chosen, adopted, and redeemed. The team's going to sing a song for you now. I want you to invite you to consider it a prayer over your life. It's just something, uh, it's a song we've done before, but it's just a beautiful song to declare what it is to have that father heart. <laughs>